0: I'm Spencer Ziegler.
1: Hi, I'm Melissa Smith, and welcome to DataLit, a podcast for educators by educators. So, Spencer, in education, we have this way of having various ways of classifying uh, data, right? So, if you're doing sort of like researchy kinds of things, we talk about quantitative data versus qualitative data. In our own podcast, when we're talking about school improvement, we talk about those data types. We talk about student learning, perception data, process data. But there's this other way of classifying data that we've been hearing about that we're going to be exploring in this and in the next episode of Data Lit, right? We're going to be looking at a type of data that is the center of a model for transforming schools through this lens of equity and pedagogy, and it's called street data. So, Spencer, what comes to mind when you hear the words street data?
0: Yeah, I... My head goes to uh like Google Maps, you know you can drop that little like kind of person to yeah. like the street level, and then all of a sudden it changes the the perspective and all of a sudden you're able to like kind of step in and and see things from a different angle. What about you
1: so when I heard about street data, I was thinking about like i'm i'm I don't know why like a detective, okay, okay, like you know when they say like um. What is the phrase that they use? I'm hitting the beat or. I'm... Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, like you're being among the people, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, like you're getting down to the story yeah. kind of stuff. That's what I sort of imagined and then tried to figure out okay, well, what does that have to do with education?
0: Yeah, I like that. That's the, the, um, so as our listeners will know, I'm a, a, a giant nerd. And uh, in comics, there's a phrase, uh, street level superheroes, whereas oh. instead of like flying through the cosmos fighting these, it's just like Daredevil or Spider-Man. These ones that they're, they're just they have a couple blocks and it's it's smaller uh-huh, kind of uh-huh. like stories there. So similar.
1: OK, so, yeah, so. Spencer and I have been reading this book by Shane Safir and Dr. Jamila Dugan, and it's actually called Street Data. And it was a very interesting read. And so we decided that we're going to spend some time kind of diving into the book in this episode and into the next one. So in the book, they talk about these levels of data. And I love how, you know, we have types of data, measures of data. Now in this one, there are these levels of data and there are three levels of data. So... The highest level starts off with satellite data. So imagine you're above everything and you're sort of looking in at the educational landscape. And so the highest level would be satellite data. What are some examples of some satellite data, Spencer?
0: Yes, my head immediately goes to kind of the EOGs, EOCs, Mm -hmm. you know, those those kind of um, like once a year kind of applying to everyone, really large grain size. Yeah. Um, Also maybe like grad rates, SATs, ACTs.
1: So it sounds like anything that will give us like a big picture, high level of what is happening in the educational microcosm.
0: Yeah. And there are benefits there because of that large grain size. It allows for some um, useful... uh, I guess, norm reference kind of analysis, since everybody's kind of taken the same thing. So you can get a sense of, okay, how do our kids compare to other schools, but also other districts, sometimes other Other states states. or even Mm -hmm. other countries Mm -hmm. with some of these uh, satellite data sources.
1: Okay. Okay. So we know that that high level view is important, right? It still has a role, but there's some contextual things, right? I remember Mm -hmm. in the classroom when I get my EOG results, I'm just like, yeah, that's good to know. But, you know, it's not useful if I want to know, like, okay, tomorrow, what will I do differently?
0: Right, that time. And that makes me think of, there's a good quote in the book that I like that said, uh, while satellite data can illuminate trends and point our attention towards undeserved groups of students, they're often lagging, falling into education's hands long after they've lost their utility to inform instructional resource decisions. So yeah, those big picture trends, um, that's really useful. But yeah, that, that, that immediate, what am I going to do in the classroom tomorrow with my group of students it's not really meant for that doesn't mean that's bad right just right. what is the purpose yep there we go all right so the next level down from mm.
1: that uh, is what they call map data yeah all right so at the map level data you know we start off really high we come down a layer a bit and at the map layer you're hovering over the ground right mm-hmm. so uh, I know that it acts kind of like a GPS. This is kind of where you go. Um, they talk about like how we use, I guess, some of my formative assessments that I have or some of my interim tests, you know, yeah. kind of gives me sort of some of a, a little bit more information than mm-hmm. like an overall summative test, but um, not all the way quite right. there.
0: Yeah, I like that, that that GPS analogy that you got. I, I'm kind of envisioning like Google Earth. I feel like I keep plugging Google. We should uh, we'll send them an invoice. Um, but yeah, you're zooming down a little bit yeah. to that like GPS level where you're still not necessarily seeing the street, but it is giving you a sense of path.
1: Right. Yeah. So you have a little bit more information. You have a little bit more context, but not all of the context.
0: No, yeah, and, and like... Would you think like universal screeners, would they fall into this? Do you think?
1: I think so too. I think, like I said, it gives you information about learning pathways. So you get a little bit more information about, you can do something instructionally with it. Yes. But again, there is this, there's just still something missing behind. Context. Yeah. Uh-huh, I think that's yep.
0: the, the key word. It might let you know the what in terms of, I don't know, decoding or fluency or something uh-huh, like uh-huh. that. Um it might give you some really rich, uh, like standards based information with mm-hmm. like fancy check ins, but it's not necessarily gonna give you the why yes. about what yeah. happened yeah. for instruction or the environment or the, the, the student or the, the teacher level. Right.
1: Right. So then that takes us down to the ground level where we actually get down to the street
0: level. Yes. The detective, the daredevil level. Yeah. (laughs) The daredevil
1: level. (laughs) Um, And so they talk about this street data being like you're getting real time information. Like you said, it explains Mm -hmm. why what you're seeing is happening. And one of the phrases that they use that I really like. It's that data that gets us behind or beyond the dashboard. So, you know, Ooh, I know I like in that. education, we love um, yeah. dashboards. We like to see the numbers come together, but we're always reminded who are the students behind the numbers? Like yeah. when, you, when you get that universal screener data or when you get that uh, performance task data for a class, who are the kids, who are the students? Right. That kind of, as a teacher, you want to get to that level because when you understand, so you have a number and you have that relational piece, you have that humanizing piece of it, putting yeah. those two things together allows you as a teacher to get to that problem of practice.
0: Yeah. And I, I like that you said the humanizing, there's a, there's a line that stood out saying that I'm Street data is asset-based, building on the tenets of culturally responsive education by helping educators look for what's right in our students, schools, and communities instead of seeking out what's wrong. I think that can help us to transition from a deficit model to just like, oh, these kids just don't get it based on Mm -hmm. the map or satellite data to an asset-based of just like, let me— Find out what their experience, that's the word that stood out to me as I was reading this section, experience, getting the experience of the kids, the parents, community members, to figure out what's going on, what's working, what's not working.
1: So the other thing, the lived experience, and and you guys know me, I I love a story. So they use a a word that I had not heard before, story orientation. Yeah, yeah. And again, it it's getting to the human aspect of the numbers that we see to better understand. They talk about this street data model is really grounded in uh, ethnography. Yeah, where you're not just being an observer on the outside, sort of looking in. You know, like you know, if you go to a classroom and you're just sort of looking in, but right. you're living in within the, the confines, right? Which yeah. is why this would be a perfect thing for teachers because it's not it's not like an administrator coming in to observe a class. Yeah. I'm the teacher in the class. So I'm living with the students. We are experiencing it and then trying to make sense of the world that we're in because I'm in it and I'm investigating it at the same time.
0: Yeah. And I think that's that's important. And using this model, I think of it like you mentioned in the beginning, there's all these different models or categorization schemes that you can kind of put on. I almost think of it as like a pair of glasses. Like what were those glasses like as a kid? Like they, they'd color and you put it on and all of a sudden you would see certain things based on the colored lenses or something. Oh, I never had those. I might've just made that up <laughs> as I think about it, but it'd be cool. If not, you know, if, if I do not show up kaleidos- for the next episode. Not the kaleidoscope yeah, thing. Sort of, yeah, sort of, that, that, that's, okay. I think that's what I was actually thinking of. Okay. And all of a sudden you look through that and you, you notice things, you know. Yep. That's a weird analogy, but whatever. (laughs) That, I mean, stories seep their way into our processes and practices. Yeah. It's just about if we do it intentionally and it's about Mm. whose stories. Like I'll just, speaking for myself, I never really... My stories, my demographics were always represented in the people that I saw in the classroom or on TV or all those kind of things there. Right, right. Um, so maybe there wasn't as much of a need to like kind of get down and and, and get that street level data um, from me, or at least in terms of certain certain aspects. But there's, I think, a lot of students for whom their stories are not being represented. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's essential to get down and get those lived experiences.
1: Yeah. You know, when they talk about this whole story, so a a key part of our work that we do as educators is building relationships. Yeah. And they talk about embrace, when you embrace a model like street data, it allows you to build your, I think they used the phrase relational capacity.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: And I like that. And, you know, it made me stop and think because it's like, yes, I have content to teach to the kids. Yep. But- Bigger than that is, again, building relationships with the kids. And I think we are in a a space right now where we're struggling to build relationships with kids. Yeah. Because we went through a time where we're so used to building relationships with kids when they are right in front of us. We went through that year or two when they were in a whole separate Mm. room and had to learn how to build a relationship with them when they weren't with us, when they weren't face to face with us. Yeah. And so, how do you do that? Because a lot of what we do is is based on building a relationship.
0: Right. Because students are not, like, I feel like the story of education over the last century is just trying to get beyond that empty vessel yes. uh, model of just yep. kids are just empty vessels and it doesn't matter. You just pour the content in and right. hazard, it's done. Right. Um, but, like, especially the brain learns through analogies, they connect new things to old things in the brain. So those relationships matter and the cultural context of those relationships matter because they'll determine what lands and what doesn't. Like earlier I made a geeky daredevil reference. <laughs> so our listeners that share a similar set of nerdy touch points as me, yeah, I was better, like that analogy landed better for some students than others. So you Correct. have to kind of inspect what are these relationships for whom is it working for whom is it not?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and to, You know, I like this whole idea of, again, I think it's important if you want to teach the content, because like like I said, I'm a math teacher by trade. And so for the kids to care about math, Mm -hmm. right, I have to kind of get to understand where they're coming from, what lenses, what context that they're bringing with them. So that I could open up the world of math to them and have them see that they are math learners of themselves,
0: yeah, and that that makes I think emotional sense, but it's also makes scientific sense when you look at like the role the amygdala plays in learning, yep. the, the first thing uh, you know we're especially today we're bombarded by sensory input and mm-hmm. information first, there's kind of a gatekeeping mechanism to figure out what makes it through and what doesn't, and part of that has to do with um. Like nutrition how safe and you feel? Sleep. yeah, the first part is actually just like nutrition, sleep, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. There, that um, that matter. Um, and then that next part is that how safe you are, the amygdala is kind of triggering that fight or flight. Um, am I in danger? Um, and if students don't feel safe and welcomed and at home, if their amygdala is being tripped, then you can be the greatest. Teacher teaching the, the 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 most perfect curriculum, right. it's not going to matter right. because the information is not making it into their their working memory and then long term memory.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of street data that we have out there?
0: Yes, yeah, so I think there's the book gave some interesting ones. There there's some more. Um, Probably familiar ones like uh, kind of really localized surveys or focus groups, um, and you know we can put in our show notes some resources that we have within DRA for doing that. Yeah. But also um, like walkthroughs. I like the idea of like shadowing a student for a day to get a sense of those. You use the phrase lived experience. Um said a uh, equity participation tracker.
1: So I think with the walkthroughs, I think it's more than just a walkthrough. Yeah. We've been using this new term in the district.
0: Learning walks learning, learning rounds. Yeah. Learning yeah,
1: yeah. walk learning rounds, learning walks. So again, I I think it's there's a difference between being on the outside mm-hmm. and looking in. Yeah. And I think street data is being in, looking well, like in. Look, yeah. Looking within. Yeah. So there's that you know, the, the the our traditional walks is sort of like, Oh, I'm here on the outside and I'm looking in. Yeah. But I think what they're trying to get at is you're in it and you're inspecting
0: Right. Yeah. It's kind of a, a a practice of, of empathy. Right. And sometimes oh, yeah. I think when walkthroughs can be less productive is when they're lacking focus When it's just like, observe all the things. <laughs> but for this, I think it really is meant to be focused on kind of getting the sense of a particular perspective, a particular Correct. experience. Correct. And so a walkthrough that perhaps has that, that narrowed focus, I think would, would maybe fall under this.
1: So now that we have understand the three levels, right, we have that level one satellite, go down, Mm -hmm. drop down a little bit, level two, map, level three, street, what would be the significance you think of using an approach, the street data
0: approach uh, in the classroom? So to me, as I was reading about this, what struck me is that I feel like we've kind of um, inverted the pyramid. Um, Mm. And by that, I mean, uh, so in theory... You should probably have the most data on that street level data. That one's the closest for experience. That's the one that's like, we have a whole bunch of kids, each of them bringing their own uh, you know, cultural backpack, stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and then a little bit less on that kind of map data. And then satellite data, especially because oftentimes it's like an annual thing that mm-hmm. should be the least amount. Uh, but something I noticed, we've done some data trainings this year. And one of the activities I've done a couple times of uh, asked people just like, okay, t- take out sticky notes, write down all the data that you work with. And then, so at that point, they have a you know plethora of sticky notes. And then we reviewed this model. And then we asked them to sort where the data falls. And we found that the pyramid was kind of flipped, and that they had the most, or at least they were thinking of the most at the satellite level, then a little less the map data, and then the least amount the street data. Um, and I think maybe by putting on the 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 you know the glasses of looking at things through this model, maybe it can remind us like let's collect more street level data. And it can be through like a, a particular process, but I like the book point out that um, the magic is not in any protocol or plan that we hand out, rather the magic is in the mindset that people are sitting down to engage in that protocol. So if we can kind of remember this mindset and start gathering formally and informally more street data mm-hmm. and kind of flip that pyramid around, I think then it can be probably humanizing and liberating for our for practice.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that because, you know, I've I've wondered where because it's the three levels, yeah, in some discussions I've heard people talking about it, uh like in another model we have where we talk about the summative Oh, that's interim. my notes right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The summative, the interim and the formative. Yes. And even they're not saying that street data is formative assessment no. data. It's still different from that, right? because you can have formative assessment data that's still at that map level you yes. can see being at that map level this is really getting at what's that information like you said it's hard to it, it's it's hard to capture
0: yeah in my head I was thinking of it and let me know if I'm off, off base here as um, the formative interim summative uh, that's categorization based on proximity to instruction correct how close the close the assessment is to when it was taught a street level, the, these levels are about proximity to the learner, how yes. close the data is to Ooh. the learner itself. Mm-hmm. But with that analogy, I feel like that's probably another model where we mm-hmm. maybe sometimes have flipped the pyramid, where we have a lot of summative and we have less interim and we have not as much formative, or maybe we just don't pay attention to the formative as much in terms of driving instruction.
1: And so maybe with a model like this, where it asks us to focus on the learner... Yeah. Right. And get more of that type of information. We might be able to do so with more formative assessments. Right. Yeah. I think you know, for both of them, you want more street data and you want more formative assessments. And I think by having that look about what is the learner doing, why is it that the learner is doing what they're doing, right? We can do so with some intentional formative assessment.
0: Yeah. And if if you think if we do flip both of those pyramids, then how transformative that can be. Like sometimes I feel like when um. And this is we hear in our department that the data can be like cold and maybe... um, Removed, you mean? Yeah. Well, even just like emotionally cold sometimes Uh uh or or, uh even similarly doesn't feel like it's actionable. Um, And I wonder if that's because we're focusing disproportionately at that satellite level, at the summative level, which again absolutely has its purposes and completely is needed. And oftentimes we need that data in order to find these larger inequities. But if we flip it around and we're paying more attention to the street level data, the proximity to the learner and the formative data, that proximity to instruction, if it's going to feel more personable and it's going to feel more actionable.
1: Yeah. I think another reason why it's important to take on this approach is we've also been talking about in our department, helping educators identify a problem of practice. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think by taking on this street data approach or mindset, you you know, it kind of helps you, again, be reflective as yeah. a practitioner about, okay, what is it that I'm doing? Asking your students, okay, I've taught a lesson, but how is it, how are you receiving that right. lesson? You know, getting that lens of it. I mean, there's one way to get how they're doing with the lesson based on test scores, but right. asking them their their instructional experience about the lesson, mm-hmm. is a whole different level of data yeah. that I would have to think about.
0: And then see how to incorporate that yeah. in my instruction. And that's I think that's intimidating because you're you're making yourself vulnerable. Oh yeah. But also it I think it, it can be going back, it can be more actionable. I think sometimes we get frozen with data because we're like, whoa, wait, what do how do I approach what I'm seeing? Even at that that map level data in terms of decoding, it can mm-hmm. be tr- tricky. But when you learn from collecting street level data that um that your warm ups maybe aren't working because the fact is you're throwing them up there before kids are even settled and have gotten their stuff down and they just need a minute to connect with their friends that they haven't seen since Friday. Right. Then all of a sudden that gives you something that's pretty easy to change some processes. And then that's going to have results that will be showing up in some of that instructional data. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, when you, as a teacher, when you're trying to establish that, that problem of practice, I think this is going to be a way to kind of help you identify yeah. because, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, this is the numbers, the student achievement numbers, and I need to change that. But the way to change that is I think something, I need to do something instructionally different yeah. and to kind of figure out what different, I mean, it's more than just coming in and saying the same thing in a louder right. of voice or something like that. But so trying to figure out, like you said, what is the different, what will I need to tweak? It's really asking the people who have to show us like asking our students how are they experiencing it. And I think right. one thing that, that resonated with me about using this approach is giving voice to students in a way mm-hmm. where we say we should, but yeah. we don't always intentionally do.
0: Yeah. And we we sadly have survey data to back that up when we look yeah. at it, especially as kids work their way through our educational system. Um, that we notice things like their their responses for control and relevance of schoolwork and connections that they tend to drop off as right. they get more and more used to kind of how we do school. Mm-hmm. So we need to collect some data of, you know, how can we flip that?
1: Yeah. In our next episode, when we look at, you know, specific strategies that an educator yeah. can use to sort of start to collect street mm-hmm. data because we're not saying everybody okay quit your job and become ethnographers yeah. but i mean how can we take on that lens mm-hmm. so that we can start to collect a deeper kind of information to that would then feed into our practice yeah as usual if you have any questions or comments for us that you'd like us to address in our next episode or about any other episode you can always reach us at www wcpss.net/datalit. Thanks to Jamal Wellman at Rollsville Middle School for our theme music and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.